Some weeks now, I've had a privilege of speaking on several occasions, again, a, a privilege. Um, I spoke once about the Lordship of Christ in creation, where we saw his Lordship over creation when he calmed the storm. And then we saw the Lordship of Christ when the legion was delivered. So the Lordship of Christ in the natural world, the Lordship of Christ in the spiritual world. This morning I'd like us to look at a story where Jesus is Lord over what the, uh, the scripture calls the last enemy, that is death. Now it may be, and I will speak very courteously for, I know there are folk here who may have been recently bereaved, but um, our sympathy of course. But of course many of you will never find yourself in a storm where a boat's about to sink. I went near it once, but I won't tell you that now, you'll never get home. Um, but many of you hopefully will never come across someone so infested with the demonic that he's given the name Legion. So storms we may not encounter, the demonic you may not encounter, but this last one, every one of us will encounter it in our families or in our homes. And I'm sorry to tell you, you're gonna die one day. Now, I don't want you to do it during the service because we will have a lot of forms to fill out and we're a bit busy at the moment. So if you could hang on till the end of the service and I would be personally very grateful. So I'd like this morning to look at the story of the, the raising of Lazarus. Lazarus was not the first person Jesus raised from the dead. We have in the Old Testament uh, types of resurrection and uh, not types, actual resurrections who had a, a, a typological meaning. But we find in the scripture there are three occasions when Jesus raised people from the dead. There was Jairus's daughter, which was a young girl who had died and Jesus went to the home, prayed with her, and she was raised from the dead. Then we have the widow of Nain's son, where Jesus met the cortege leaving the town on the way to the cemetery. And the young man sat up and began to talk. The second, and then we have the story of Lazarus, which we're going to look at this morning. It's important to know that in each of those occasions, Jesus gave proof that the person was alive, so there would be no confusion. First of all, with the Jairus' daughter, when she came back to life, Jesus had given her something to eat, which may seem a strange request, but of course, the proof was dead people don't eat. And then with the widow of Nain's son, he sat up and he began to talk. That's why I think he may have been an Irishman, because he began to talk. I'm Irish, by the way just before you get all mumsy about it, you know. Um, and then, of course, Lazarus was seen to be walking about. He was let loose and was walking about. And again, dead people don't eat, dead people don't talk, dead people don't walk. So we have in those miracles a, almost a progression. Someone who had recently died, a young person, someone who was on the way to the cemetery, and when we get to Lazarus, we're told four days Lazarus had been in the grave. Now, I don't believe that this was a build-up so Jesus' faith would increase. Forgive me, I'm not being flippant here. It wasn't, well, we'll start with a child and raise them, and then if we do that, all right, we'll move on to a young man, and then after that, we'll move on to... No, no, there was no progression in this. Jesus was confronted with each of these deaths and stepped into these situations and brought about resurrection. Resurrection is important because, sadly, the subject of death will come to each family and each home at some point. I took many funerals before I'd ever been bereaved. Many funerals. I had sat with many families seeking to comfort them. But after bereavement had come into my own life, I hope I understood a little more 
what it was like. So let me read to you. We're in John chapter 11, please. John chapter 11. And um, we'll just walk our way through the story. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. In those, we have the scene set for us. We have several conversations that we're going to look at. The conversation Jesus had with the disciples, the conversation Jesus had with the sisters, the conversation Jesus had with his father, and about four o'clock this afternoon, no, it won't be that long, we'll get to the conversation that Jesus had with Lazarus. So the scene is set for us here. Here we have a family. We have brother, two sisters. It's a home where Jesus felt comfortable. It was a home where Jesus would spend time. We're told there that Mary was the one who poured the ointment on his feet. It's not, we're not told that in the other Gospels, but here John identifies Mary as being the person who did this. So they sent word to Jesus. And it was very simple. Lord, the one you love is sick. And they were no doubt hoping that Jesus would come, pray with Lazarus, and he would be healed. This was not, they'd seen it so many times. They had heard, if they weren't present, about the widow of Nain's son and Jairus' daughter. But of course, there was no need for resurrection at this time. There was no need to say, will you come and raise our brother? Because he was still alive. And their aspiration was that Jesus would come and would heal their brother. Then in verse 4, we find something very strange takes place. When he heard this, Jesus said to the disciples, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that the God's son may be glorified through it. So again, it leans towards the thought that Jesus was going to heal him. It is not unto death. It is unto the glory of God. And that's the theme of the whole Christian life is that we seek to live to bring glory to God. When you're kind to someone, God gets the glory. When you forgive someone, God gets the glory. When you come and worship and you praise him, God gets the glory. That is the commodity that we deal in. It's not in dollars, euros or sterling. No, no, our commodity that we deal in is that God may be glorified in all we do. When we look at everything we seek to do through this church, it's so that God may be glorified. For if we move from that, we have no guarantee that God will smile upon our efforts. But when we seek to give him glory in all that we do, we know that the Holy Spirit will come quickly to aid us that Jesus Christ might be exalted. So the message came to Jesus very simply, the one you love is sick. Jesus said the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. So Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I'm going to say something just for effect. How uncaring. I phoned the pastor in the morning and, you know, three weeks later he turned up. Well, it is the football season and we... You know, no. The, he waited. He, he remained where he was two more days. Hang on a minute. 
Surely the sooner Jesus gets to him, the sooner the sister's prayers might be answered. In fact, when we remember the story of the centurion's servant, Jesus didn't even have to come. He could have sent the word and he would have healed. So why did he delay? Why would it seemingly be uncaring? Why would any of us delay? If someone outside, if we heard of a car accident outside, any medical people here would rush out immediately to see if they could be of any assistance. But he stayed there two more days. I'm afraid the brutal truth is this, as far as I read it. Other preachers can correct this when I'm not here, or you can even correct it when I am here. I believe he tarried two more days so that Lazarus would die. Because he was going to show his glory. He was going to show glory that would glorify the Father and that the Son of God would be glorified through it. And it was determined, it was in the plan of God that he would receive more glory through this resurrection than if he went forward to heal. Now some of you need to think about that and that's allowed in this church by the way. You can think and you can read the scriptures for yourself and if you come up with another answer that's better than mine, I'll give you a fiver. <laughs> Did I say five pounds? All right, then I've said it now, so I'll go with it. Or one of Colin's books, and instead, maybe. Go for the fiver, he says. <laughs> I'll go for the fiver. I believe he just waited. How uncaring. How thoughtless. Why could he do this? Did he not know in this house the tears were flowing? But friends, sometimes... You can only see the glory of God through tears. And some of you have cried in your homes and in your families. Some of you say, God, I, I cried. And, you know, and sometimes you can only see the glory of God through tears. And you cry and then you stand back and you think, where is God in all of this? Then suddenly you're aware of his purposes in your life and his future. At the time... Not every time, but sometimes you can see the glory of God through tears. And I believe this was one of those occasions. He was going to come to the house. They were going to be in tears. They were going to be upset. And he stepped forward to a home where the words would be said to him, if only you'd been here. Gentle rebukes. I don't think they were fierce rebukes. Others may disagree. But that was the case. So he remained there the two days. He spoke to the disciples. He said to them in verse 11, after this he said, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he's asleep, he will get better. Jesus is speaking about his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. You see, there is a teaching of something called soul sleep. We, we, we don't believe in that. That's not, not part of our, our, uh, our, our teaching here. But you know, the point of sleep is rest. The point is sleep. And Jesus is saying, Lazarus is resting. Lazarus is waiting for me to turn up that I might raise him from the dead. Did Lazarus write a book about his death out of the body? No, he didn't write anything. But I believe he was literally dead and asleep. 
because that's the words Jesus used. He's asleep, but I am going to raise him. But the disciples couldn't imagine that. They thought, well, he's sleeping. Maybe he's in a coma. Maybe he's unconscious, and Jesus is going to come and wake him up. Well, he certainly was going to wake him up. But they missed that part out. He stayed two days. The truth being that God would get more glory from the resurrection of Lazarus than the healing of Lazarus. Several times we read there that Lazarus had been in the grave four days. That emphasized the complete proof that Lazarus was no longer with us. In verse 18, it says, Bethany was just two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in their loss of their brother. Then in verse 20, we find that the scene now moves from his discussion with the disciples to the sisters. But um, it says that when Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to him, but Mary stayed at home. Did Mary know Jesus was coming? I feel it's a little vague there. But Martha, the one who was the head of the house, the older sister, the one who was in the kitchen when Mary was sat at the feet of Jesus and criticized Mary for not helping her do the washing up, and Jesus said she's chosen the better part. Well, on this occasion... Martha was out. Martha went out to meet Jesus. I'm sure Jesus was going to find this challenging because he knew the situation, what had happened. And there was a crowd of mourners. Martha went out, but Mary stayed at home. Was Mary too upset to come? I don't think so. Maybe she didn't know. Maybe she was waiting for an invitation. But in verse 21, we find Martha gets straight to the point. If you had been here my brother would not have died if you had been here. Was that a rebuke? I believe it was not a rebuke, like a, a telling off because of what Martha's going to say, but it's an acknowledgement that in her thinking, in her mind, the situation would have been so much easier, so much better if Jesus had just got there sooner. Now at the end of the story, she would understand the delay. She would understand the great purposes of God in this. But at that time, may I say, Jesus is not nervous that you cannot just talk to him and just say, Lord, what's going on? I've said that many times in my life. Lord, what's going on here? Why is this happening? Why is this taking place? What are your purposes in this? And I've stood back and I couldn't see them anywhere. In my ministry particularly, I thought, why has this happened? Why has this particular period come to an end? And I've, I've stood back and I've thought, Lord, you know, if you'd been here, were you not here? Were you not in the room when this happened? Were you not in the doctor's surgery when that was declared? Were you not with me in the consulting room at the hospital? Where were you? He was there all the time. Of course he was. But I wanted him to heal. And he had planned to resurrect. I planned for him to do this. And he planned for something else. And that's where his lordship is difficult. Because I have to surrender what Gordon wants to what Christ wants. The Old Testament verse, I quote it so often, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? At the end of the day, friend, God will do what is right by you. 
And if you don't understand now, when you see him face to face, all will be made clear. And that's the faith walk where we absorb into us our tears, our disappointments, what we don't understand and say, I am going to trust God. And please, I'm not being flippant. I'm going to trust God that he knows what he's doing. And I'll tell you now, God knows what he's doing in your life. And the end will prove that. The end will prove that. Well, Martha comes, as I've already said. He said, if you had been here, um, he would not have died. Um, and then a great positive statement from Martha. I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Wow. I wish you'd been here. Why? Because I wouldn't be crying now if you'd been here because he would be healed. And there would be the three of us having a cup of tea with you, Jesus. But that was my first prayer request. That was my first choice, that you would come in time. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. It's not too late. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha, oh, I'm trying, I'm not being critical. Martha should have said, okay, he's over here. I don't know why I'm pointing over here. I don't know, maybe that's, I'm sorry. No, there's too much life over here. No, no. He, but she didn't. Somehow she got caught up. Having made that statement, you know, even now, Jesus, if you ask the Father, the situation isn't lost. Even though I don't understand, and through these tears, I'm still believing that God can step in. And Jesus says those lovely words to her, very simply, your brother will rise again. And she should have said, I wouldn't have said it, but she should have said it. Okay, He's the third one on the left, three rows back. That's where he is. See that stone over there against that cave? That's where he is, Lord. Thank you. But she said something else. She got a little bit theological. She said, I know he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. She transferred the possibility of a miracle then to what she understood of scripture that there would be a resurrection at the end. She was quite right in what she said. Totally biblical, but she missed it. Your brother will rise again. Yes, I know he'll rise again at the end of the age. No, no. You know, before the day's over, we're all going to be having a cup of tea together. She missed it in that one. Bless her for what she said, but... She just missed it. And then Jesus says some remarkable words. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. See, if I said to you, when was the resurrection of Jesus? You'd say, oh, Easter Sunday. Okay, fine. When the, but listen, friends, forgive me. The resurrection is not an event. The resurrection is a person. Right? Now, I'm going to rise at the last day. If, I'm, if I die before Jesus comes back, I will be raised, you know, uh, then, right? Okay, not a problem, really. 
be nice to see you all again. You know? Well, most of you. <laughs> Hopefully all of you before the service is over, but we'll see you then. But that was at the end. And Jesus was speaking about the now. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The scripture says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now what's glory? That's the afterlife. That's heaven. Glory. Oh yes, now, of course, but I believe it's speaking of the future. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if you have the resurrection and the life in you, what can you do? You can experience the resurrection and the life. Simple. We live because he lives. We rise because he rose. We will live forever, not because of what we have achieved, but because of what he has achieved. And there he stands there. And Mary, Martha's talking about the brother dying. And if only you'd been here, he will rise again. She says, well, I know that. And it's almost like she missed it. And then he looks to her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, if I was sat down there, I'd be going, thank you, Lord, now. <laughs> the resurrection and the life. My future is secure. You say, Gordon, you're not a very good person. No, I'm not. You might be saying, well, I'm more holy than you are. You definitely are, apart from the pride <laughs> that you think you're more holy than me. The minute you think you're humble, you're not. But his resurrection, and he says those words, you're thinking of an event. You're looking to the last day. Moi, it's me. I'm the resurrection and the life. Mary, Martha, if only you would understand that. She told the Lord, he said, do you believe? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. I believe that confession matches Peter's any day. That great confession, upon this through I will build my church. This lady was up there with him in this our understanding. But you see, our understanding of truth is great. Our application of truth is a challenge to us. She knew all those things, and yet she was still listening to him, I believe, through tears. Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Christ. After, after and after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. The teacher is here. Now, this is Mary, the other sister is here. And she said, he is asking for you. Isn't that lovely? Why did Mary not come? Was she too heartbroken? Was she upset? I, I'm, I'm going to tell you now, I, I'm not sure. Some preachers will know and will be very dull, but this one doesn't know the, the reason. I've had one pastor on the phone, when I told him what I was speaking on, gave me a very clear understanding of this verse. And when he'd finished, I thought, maybe... But she didn't turn up. And he said, he's asking for you. Do you know, I think that's, that's lovely. Martha came straight out, engaged in a theological discussion, heard the great statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha's at home. Why? I don't think we know. Was she disappointed? Was she waiting for an invite? Maybe she didn't even know he was there. It might be as simple as that. I don't know. But she heard that Jesus was asking for her. Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. And now Jesus was not yet entered the village. The reason he didn't enter the village was the cemetery was outside the village. 
So there's no point going into the village to come out again. So that's why I believe he was outside the village. But still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Okay, that's very Eastern, Middle Eastern in its process. Verse 32, Mary's now in the conversation. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Now, she fell at his feet on a previous occasion when she anointed his feet. This is the place that we associate with Mary. You know, that's the place where she came and she fell at his feet. The cemetery fell at his feet. It's mentioned um, each time in the New Testament, Mary's mentioned, she's at the feet of Jesus. Do you know the safest place to be is at the feet of Jesus? The great thing about being on the floor and I've been on the floor a couple of times, is you can't fall anywhere. <laughs> See, that's why I'm on the money I'm on, because I come out with great truths like that. It really is amazing. When you're down there, you can't fall. But how often have we seen people up there fall? Stay down there. Now, if you're down there, you can still go up there, but as long as you know that that's not home, his feet is home, you're only visiting up there, if you live up there and visit his feet, you're in trouble. That sounded quite profound. I must write that down. We, it's the other way around. We live at his feet and then he may graciously lift us up to other things. So she's at his feet and then the same words come out. Lord, if you had been here. Verse 33, moving on. He saw her weeping and the Jews weeping in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Isn't it good to know the one we worship has a heart? The one we worship can be moved deeply. He is not a doctrine. He is not a set of beliefs. He is not a magazine or a book or a systematic theology. He is one of us and yet the Son of God. And he felt it deeply and he was troubled. One commentator said the Greek word for troubled is he shuddered. The word is to shudder. Why? I think it was what was happening he could see the people crying and the situation and he knew how much distress. You see, it was one thing to hold back so God can have the glory, but he was now witnessing what that delay was causing in human hearts. And when God has said no to you, not yet, you'll have to wait, he is not unaffected by what that might cost you. But to quote an old hymn, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. That's where the faith comes, that we wait till we see him. When he saw her weeping and the Jews weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled. He shuddered. And then that sparks him off into the miracle. Verse 34, he said, Where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord. They replied. And then, they say it's the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, 
Jesus wept. Martha was crying, Mary, the crowd, everyone's crying. And Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Was it because the sisters had said, if only you'd been here? Was it because he realized what his delay had cost them in heartache? They weren't anticipating what was going to happen in a moment. They weren't aware of what was going to happen. They said, where have you laid him? And they thought, well, he's going to go and stand at the grave. If he had a hat, take his hat off in our culture and stand there with moments of respect. Was he going to go and say some prayers at the grave, acknowledge it? Was it a Remembrance Sunday type event? I don't think they knew. I don't think they anticipated what was going to happen next. Come and see. And when the Jews saw him cry, weep, they said, see how he loved him. But some in the crowd said, verse 37, could he not, he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? There's always someone there, isn't there? You're not one of those people in this church. No matter what God's doing, you could improve on it. Because I tell you now, for your own sake, pack it in. Just pack it in. It's just nowhere. They should have been saying, well, why? What's he going to do? But some of them said, no, no. He healed the blind. Couldn't he have stopped this man from dying? They were in for a shock. Not only could he stop him from dying, he was going to bring him back from the dead. And I want the DVD on the faces of these people (laughs) when Lazarus is raised. So he's had his conversation with the disciples. He's asleep. He's had his conversation with the sisters. He's now going to have a conversation with his father. It says they take away the stone, verse 39. Of course, Martha comes in and says, hang on a minute, Lord. The sister, of the demand, this, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Again, he's saying, you know, do you understand? This is different. If you'd have got here earlier, I'm, I'm trying to be kind here. You know, Jesus, it's, you know, it might be too late for you to do anything in this situation. May I say to those of you who've been praying a long time, it's never too late for Jesus to do something. And I'm going to say this, if you think your situation, you say, Lord, this situation is just a bad odour, it will not repel him. He'll walk towards it. He won't go, oh dear, I didn't know that, four days, oh no. Please, I'm not being flippant, I only, you know, one day, it's my limit. The world recoils, pardon me. But Jesus walks towards it and says, where is he? Roll back the stone. But hang on a minute. That that, that shows to me, I think they didn't understand. Roll back the stone. But Lord, there's a bad owner. Jesus said, did I not tell you? If you believe, you would see the glory of God. What was going to happen next was not the glory of God of a miracle, the glory of God. We're back to that commodity we started with. This is to the glory of God. Yes, there's been tears, and sometimes you only see the glory of God through tears. And then he speaks to the Father. The conversation of the Father. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, 
they may believe that you have sent me. So even in his prayer, I believe he was being evangelistic. He's saying, Father, I don't need to close my eyes and look up to heaven. You've already heard me. You heard me when I got the news about Lazarus. You heard me when I was walking here. You've heard me when I've been talking to the girls about their brothers. You Lord, you've already heard me. But unfortunately, these people need to see me, close my eyes, raise my eyes and speak to you. But I know you have already heard me. You see, God knows everything you need. But the act of faith is for you to ask. You say, well, if he knows, why, why does he not do it? He wants you to ask. He gives you the opportunity to exercise faith in him and trust him in that situation. And to grow so spiritually. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. You always hear me. But for their benefit, that they may believe that you sent me. And this is the shortest conversation of all. The disciples, it wasn't a long conversation. With the sisters, it was a bit longer. The conversation with the father was brief. But the conversation with Lazarus was one of the shortest conversations Jesus ever had. He stood there and in a loud voice said, Lazarus, come out. I wonder what happened then. I wonder if people stood there thinking, what has he just done? They're all pulling back because the stone was there and they were very conscious of the length of time the body had been in the grave. And Jesus in a loud voice says, Lazarus, come out. And verse 44, the dead man came out. It's great, isn't it? So, so simple, isn't it? You know, I, I, I go back to the prophets of Baal. He didn't have to cut himself. Jesus didn't jump up and down. He didn't run around the grave three times shouting hallelujah. He spoke. And I said this in the first service and all the preachers here have heard this and used it. And he said Lazarus come out because if he said come out he'd have emptied the cemetery. Because every corpse would have turned to the one next to him and said is he talking to you? He said I'm not risking it, I'm getting up. <laughs> I'm getting up. Because the one who was speaking was the resurrection and the life. That's who was talking and the grave shattered. And the devil thought, what on earth's going down in plot 37? There's a rebellion going on. No, there's not. The resurrection, the life can speak to anything that's dead and declare it alive. And that can happen in your life and mine. He can step in and step up. And out came Lazarus. I thought, why did he do it in a loud voice? Well, did he do it for the crowd? So they could hear it? Or did he do it for Lazarus, who was asleep, to wake him? I don't know. One day I will know, because I'll ask Lazarus what was going on. <laughs> Say, what happened first, Lazarus? Did you hear the voice, or what did you do? Were you asleep? And no doubt he will explain to me, because I've got eternity. He's on a long list of people I need to talk to. <laughs> Daniel is my first visit. Daniel has, anyway, helped me so often <laughs> in that way. Okay, so oh, time's nearly gone. I had plenty of time, by the way. When I say time nearly gone, it's not because I didn't have enough time. It's because I talk. The dead man came out. I'd love to see the faces of those who said, oh, if only he'd been here. And he came out. And I'm, 
please, this is, this is drama now. There's no extra charge, Colin. Drama. Okay. It's the same rate. You know, he came out because he was tied up with, he had the grave clothes on him. He came out, his hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth about his head. Does that not remind you of Easter Sunday? When all the grave clothes were folded at the end of the uh, plinth or wherever Jesus had been laid? This is what they do. He was dressed for death. Dressed for death because that's what happened. If Jesus had been there, he wouldn't have been wearing these clothes. Jesus turns up and said, it's a bit premature, get them off the boy. And off came these clothes. It says, clothed around his face. And he says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I mentioned this in the first service. I repeat it. My, I only had one pastor. His name was George Rutherford. He, I remember him preaching on this like a thousand years ago. He said about Lazarus, he said, loose him and let him go. And I can remember him saying, and I was a teenager, he just said, get loose and get going. When you become a Christian, the grave clothes come off. And some of us sadly are walking around with some of the grave clothes on us. There's parts of the old life, parts of the old nature, things we haven't surrendered. The New Testament talks about the epistle, laying off everything that so does easily hinder us. Will you check? When you're getting ready for bed tonight, just make sure you take all the grave clothes off. In fact, before you go, don't live with grave clothes. Jesus didn't raise you spiritually that you might carry around the grave clothes. No, no, no. He raised you that you might be free, that you might serve him and that you might love him. If you forget everything else and that's allowed, don't forget this. That whenever you're praying or you're asking, you are speaking to the resurrection and the life. And the last enemy is death and he has dealt with that. He can deal with a storm, he can deal with the demons, but he has dealt with death. And the revelation tells us, and if I don't stop preaching now, you've had it. The keys of death and of hell are hanging from his belt. Not the devil's, his belt. And he's the one we serve. Isn't God good? Yeah. Amen.